Amen. What, an, what a morning, amen? Uh, before we get into our sermon this morning, I do want to mention one quick thing uh, that I meant to mention before but forgot. Um, shocker. Um, but uh, thinking about Word of Life and everything, just so you know, um, and those of you that are in Word of Life, parents of Word of Life kids, you already know this, um, I believe this coming Wednesday there is no Word of Life, and then we'll pick back up again the week after that. And so if I think I've got that right. But uh, we start a summer program uh, that will start again in two Wednesdays. And what Sandra usually does is she'll go the first like four weeks or so um, kind of in a mini study with the kids on Wednesday nights. So we'll still have Wednesday nights for the kids uh, four years old and up. Uh, And then starting in June, and this will all be announced when we get closer in June, uh, she'll start the actual summer program, which if you aren't familiar with that, what it really is, is basically like a VBS every Wednesday night. Uh, So we don't do a traditional five-day VBS. Uh, A couple years ago, we decided to kind of take our Wednesday night, and that's our VBS through the summer. And so the reason I'm bringing it up, not only is for just announcing that, but also if uh, you are interested or would be interested in helping as an adult volunteer in the kids group uh, on Wednesday nights specifically, um, this is not a commitment to the school year. This is just saying, hey, I can help once a month, maybe a couple times a month, maybe once for the whole summer. Um, please see Sandra, let her know that. One thing that we do every summer is the normal Word of Life leaders take this, they're, they're kind of given the summer off, uh, kind of able to be in service and do different things like that. Um, and so Sandra will be leading that group. And so if anyone is at all interested in helping in that way, um, that would be a great blessing. So please talk to her uh, before you leave today. Let her know that you would be interested in that. She can give you more information on that. All right. So I just wanted to share that quickly. This morning, we are continuing in our series, and we started asking the question last week, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? And this morning, we're continuing in that series by asking, why is the world the way that it is? Why is the world the way that it is? Before we get into that, a quick review from last week. We talked last week about the reality and an answer to our question that there, we asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And we said last week, the reality is there aren't really any truly good people that bad things happen to. That really in our world today, we don't see bad things happening to good people. We see bad things happening to bad people and bad people doing bad things to one another. That's really what we see if you describe and define the word good the way God describes the word good. We reference the example where Jesus was speaking to the, what we've called the rich young ruler. And this young man or this man comes to Christ and calls him good. And Jesus' response is, why do you call me good? There's only one good and that is God. Paul says in the book of Romans that there are none righteous, no, not one. Now we say good, we mean things like I pay my bills on time, you know, I take care of my family, Uh, I'm a a pretty moral person, I've never done anything really, really bad, but that's our definition of good. If we're going to define good, we got to go to God's definition. And what's God's definition of good? Jesus Christ is the definition of good as far as what it looks like to live and walk in that kind of way. R.C. Sproul said it best. When somebody was asking him the question, why do bad things happen to good people? His response was, that only happened once, and he volunteered for it. And that's speaking to the cross of Christ. So we discovered that there aren't really good people. Now, we know what we mean when we ask the question. And as we said last week, the question still remains. Okay, fine. There's no real good people. But the question remains is, why then do bad things happen at all? And we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. Another question that came out of last week as an encouraging review and reminder is, if we're all bad people doing bad things to one another, 
And the question isn't why do bad things happen to good people? The question we should have been asking is then why do good things happen to bad people? If we are sinners, as the word of God says, we're all unrighteous, me included. This is not a, I'm better than you. And as I've said before, I might be better than some of you, but I'm not better than most of you probably, okay? That's a joke. I'm not better than any of you. But when you think about that idea, then, then if we are that kind of a, then why in the world does God allow good things to happen to us? See, we have a very funny way of looking at life. We tend to overemphasize the bad and underestimate the good and downplay the good. This is why someone can have a conversation with you, say five good things, one negative thing, and you leave thinking about the negative thing because our brains are just wired that way. We're just are that way. And so why then do even good things happen to bad people? Well, we kind of came up with two basic answers to that. Number one, God is gracious. Amen. And because God is gracious, God blesses us with his grace and gracious, gracious provisions. He provides things to us and he allows us to experience things that are called common grace. It's just good things to happen to everybody. And if you've been blessed to have a child and you experienced that and you saw your child being born and you were involved in that process, whether it's one or five or seven or whatever, you understand that was a blessing of grace. It was amazing to be able to be a part of that. But understand, God lets... Not everyone, but those that have had children, whether they're saved or unsaved, experience that. Some of you have experienced other great joys and blessings, and maybe you don't know Christ. So you understand that God is gracious to you. And the other reason that good things happen to bad people is because God enjoys blessing his children. There are those that don't know Christ that receive just a common grace. One day, the Bible says, they will have to stand before God as judge. And the wrath of God, if they don't know Christ, will be upon them, the Bible says. But those of us that know Christ, and we're still struggle, we're still not perfect, and why do good things happen to us? Because God enjoys blessing his children. The Bible says that he delights in you when you delight in him. If you really want to worship God and praise God, delight in him. Now you might say, what does that mean to delight in him? It means find all of your, the root of all of your joy in him. Now that's a struggle for us, because we like to find our joy in hobbies, in relationships, in money, in stuff. And it's good to enjoy those things. But if something physical or material or another human being is the root of your joy, I'm going to pray for you as you prayerfully pray for me because that can be taken away and then you have no joy. If it's your stuff, your stuff can be taken. If it's a relationship, God may call that person home. If it's a thing, if it's a a security you think you have in your retirement plan, that can be taken away. But the Bible says that when you know Christ and you're in his hand and his hand is in the Father's hand, no one can pluck you out of his hand. That's an assurance, a guarantee for eternity. That's where your joy is found. So we can sing things like, I am no longer a slave to fear. Why? Because I don't fear losing things. You can have all of it. I don't care. What about your children? Aren't you fearful of that? I would, I would, I would hate to lose my children. Uh, just honest. But God gave me a peace years ago, standing around a peace, that those aren't my boys. I mean, they are my children. Trust me, I pay for them. <coughs> I feed them. They're mine, okay? <clears throat> and Sandra would tell you greater stories about how she knows for sure those are her boys. But she's like, trust me, I was there for nine hours. I know. But I learned a long time ago, those are God's children. 
And if his will for them is to take one of them home before I think they should, that would be extremely difficult. I can't even imagine those of you that experience that. But my prayer is, Lord, prepare my heart now to realize that those are your children. This is your stuff. That's your, as far as my wife, that's your daughter. So God's in control of all of that. And how do we live that way? We just continually go back to the word. Lord, draw me to you that you are enough. So again, why do bad things happen to good people? Because God is gracious and likes to bless his children. But going back to this morning, why is the world the way that it is? Why do bad things happen at all in our world? I mean, it would be great if nothing bad ever happened, amen? It would be great. But we know you've lived in the world long enough to know that's not true. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And so if you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats there, you're going to turn to page 796. So if you're using a Bible provided, that's page 796, Romans chapter 8. We're actually going to pick up in the text just a couple of verses after what Kelsey read this morning. And kind of in the same context, talking about the idea of two believers. But I want to point out the brokenness that Paul speaks to in this passage and I think it's a brokenness that we all are aware of. So Romans chapter 8, look at verse 18. And I like the King James here because it says reckon. And that just reminds me of like the Andy Griffith show. So I just, I like that. But it's a great show. I just watched it the other day. Uh, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, listen now, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? Now, I love Paul's wording there. Man, we are saved by hope. What does that mean? I've not seen Jesus Christ. I've not seen glory. I've not seen heaven. I wasn't present at the foot of the cross. I believe the word of God by faith, and I trust in hope that it is true. And one day I will be with him and like him. Verse 25. But if we hope for that we see not then do we with patience wait for it? And there's so much in here. And I'm going to try to get through the whole message. Some of you already know what time it is. I, I apologize now. If the crock pot was on high, you should have went low. Just saying, okay? <laughs> just know now that roast is done, okay? It's just, it's just tough. A lot of gravy. A lot of gravy going to be involved. But 
When we look at this passage here, there's so much here. And I'm going to only pick out a few things here for the purpose of our message this morning. But here we read of the state of the world in Paul's day. And I believe it is the state of the world today. There's some phrases here that we are seeing in creation a groaning, a pain, a travailing. Then it says we, even as believers, we groan with creation. We see the same thing. We experience the same pain. So why does creation groan? And what does that even mean? This idea of agony and painfulness. Why do we look around the world and just struggle with what we see? Why do we as believers look around the world and we go, why is it like this? And the Bible says even creation groans. And the answer is because something is wrong with the world. The world is broken. Creation is broken. So why is that? Why is the world the way it is? Quickly, the first thing we have to note here, and really the main of what we're going to talk about is the fall into sin. The fall into sin. So take it down for notes. Genesis 3, 1 through 7 is what we call the fall. This happens in the Garden of Eden. This is in the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve are there. You know the story. Satan comes and tempts Eve to eat of the fruit that God said not to eat of. And if you've ever thought to yourself, man, condemning an entire human race because Eve ate and Adam ate a piece of fruit, that seems a little extreme. God, you're just, you're overreaching just a little bit. That we really have to go to that extreme. If you think that way, then it just reveals, and I've struggled with this too at times, it reveals how little we view the consequence of sin. It was not just eating a piece of fruit. When you read the text, Eve made a conscious decision to exchange the truth of God's word for the truth of a lie, or for the sake of a lie, and trusted that in as, and that is truth. The minute Eve exchanged the word of God for the word of, of Satan and said, no, I'm going to listen to this. I'm not going to listen to God anymore. That was the moment that sin began. Eating the fruit was just the, 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 the example of that or the outplaying of that sin. God didn't freak out because Adam and Eve ate some fruit. God brought the consequence that he warned them would come if they disobeyed his word. And from that moment until right now, the world fell into sin. And because Adam is considered in scripture what's called the federal head or the head of mankind, all of the human race is in Adam. Because Adam fell into sin, we then, according to Romans chapter 5, have fallen into sin. We're born in sin, the Bible says. And so this world fell into sin. And in that moment, creation began to groan. Humanity began to understand there was something wrong. I want to look quickly at this fall into sin and the effects on creation, the effect on man, and the effect on God. So the fall into sin affects creation. We read it, but Romans 8, verses 18 through 22. And it says here in verse 22, again, that key, for we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. All of creation groans in pain, and as Paul illustrates it, as a woman giving birth. That idea of travailing, that's the idea of a woman giving birth, that pain in childbirth. And creation is in pain. It's, it's, just, a, it, it's just hurting 
because of sin. The world is broken in sin, in pain, and in tragedy. As a result of Adam's sinful decision, we see the world the way it is. The feeling you get deep inside, if you've ever been watching TV or maybe even watching the video this morning for Compassion International, that feeling you get deep inside when someone is neglected, that feeling you feel in the pit of your stomach when you see somebody being abused or taken advantage of, when you see an elderly person that's struggling or being taken advantage of, that, that, that feeling inside of you that that's just wrong. This should not be like this. Now, some in our world have hardened their hearts to those things. But I would argue, based on Scripture, deep down inside, if they were really honest with themselves and with you, they would admit there's something stirring when they see that. This is why when you see a story like this, when a young girl is being told she's nothing, she's nothing, she's nothing, and she's in poverty and all that, and then God moves through someone to just share a word of encouragement, that feeling in the pit of your stomach of this is wrong instantly becomes like there's an alleviation, a relief. This is why some of us, when we see people being taken advantage of, we get so angry. Someone's got to stop that. Why do we feel that? Why why does that happen in us? If we are the results of evolutionary processes, that should not happen. One of the biggest things in evolution is the survival of the... That means stronger survive weaker die. And the stronger, in essence, rejoice in the weaker dying because that's more resources for the stronger. You shouldn't survive because you're not strong enough. That kind of flies in the face of seeing someone that's unable to care for themselves being neglected and we feel a pull in us to go, I gotta do something about that. If evolution was true, there's no scientific reason for that feeling. It's just not there. But if God, but if God created you in his image and his likeness, even though we are in sin, he still, the Bible does not say that he removes his image from us. The image has just been discarded from our understanding. And as far as we don't see ourselves that way. But the Bible says there's still the image of God in us. We still have this, we call it a conscience. It's the moral teaching of God in us. We know right from wrong, sin from, from righteousness. And that's why God has given us that ability to see that and go, something's not right. It's not supposed to be like this. And the Bible says creation groans in that understanding. Notice the words that Paul uses to describe the plight of creation. He talks about it in these few verses here. He uses the word suffering in verse 18, vanity in verse 20, bondage in verse 21, decay, verse 21, and then pain in verse 22. This is creation today. This is the world today. When God finished his sixth day of creation, he said, it is good. And it was until sin, until sin. Now, we can still see, obviously, the beauty of God in creation. We can see, according to Romans chapter 1, his eternal power, his invisible attributes, the Bible says. We can see God on display when we, I was just talking to someone this week, I think it was in our men's Bible study that said one of the things that pulled them to Christ was they looked at the trees and looked at creation. They went, there's just got to be something. This didn't just happen. 
So we can see the majesty of God in the stars. We can see the beauty of God in creation. But this world is not how it was supposed to be. And the reason we see these things and it makes us long to be with him is because as we studied in our men's Bible study, God has placed eternity in your heart. God has placed a desire and a longing for his heaven and his new earth and relationship with him fully in his presence. And even though we've tasted a small amount of that, as we're going to talk about, we long for more. Because even we see the beauty in creation, we go, but it's still not perfect. It's still not right. The effect on creation is creation cries out in pain. The effect on mankind, the effect on mankind. Look at Romans 8 verses 23 through 25 again. It says that not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. We're going to unpack that in just a moment here. But I want to speak first to the natural man, and then we'll move into the Christian. You see, we are naturally bent towards sinful actions and attitudes. There's no good. There's no good. Humanity allows the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, as First John tells us, to direct all we do. And if you don't believe that, watch a TV for a half hour. You see all of it. Lust of the eyes. When they want to sell you something as a man, what are they going to do? They're going to put a beautiful woman in some like not appropriate clothing on the screen. Why? Because as we learned in the Garden of Eden, and as studies have shown, a man will do, eat, or say anything a woman gives him or asks him to do if she's naked. Isn't that what we learned in Genesis 3? Okay, yeah, sure. Eat what? Sure, okay, yeah, all right, sounds good, yeah. Can I have another one? Because we, we lust of the flesh. And this, advertisers know this. I remember I was watching a gum commercial. And it was like a woman in a bikini. And I'm like, what? What's that got to do with gum? Like, I don't even understand. But why do advertisers do that? Because they're, they're playing on our sinfulness. How about lust, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes? What is that involving? That's involving, it could be lust that way or it could be what? Man, look at this beautiful car. Look at this beautiful home. You deserve this. You know what? I see it. I want it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to take it. I don't care that I got to work 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week when 40 will do because I want the nice toys. Do you know how many families are struggling because mom or dad or mom and dad are working way more hours than they need to? And we say, well, I'm providing for my family. You better learn the definition of provide is not spoil. There's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. But I think your kids would rather have you than the stuff. I've talked to to men that have worked and lived and retired now. And they've even told me, man, I spent 35 years just seven days a week and just going crazy so I can have all the stuff. And I look back now and my kids are adults and I don't even know them. Uh, Now, listen, if your job requires you to work 60 hours a week and six days or whatever, hey, it is what it is. That's God has placed you there. But is it? Is it because you have to be there or because the lust of the eye says, I see it, I want it, so that other people will think I'm successful? Are we chasing a carrot there, as we talked about in the beginning of the year? So lust of the flesh. 
lust of the eyes and the pride of life. I just want to be envied. I just want to have it all. And our, create, our, our culture feeds on that. One of the things we see as well is we have neglected God's order of creation. We have neglected God's order of creation. I'm going to make this real simple. I'm going to put some things up on the screen here. Hopefully, if they work. Aha! I love technology. Okay. When it works. Okay. God's order of creation, order of importance, order of authority. What do we see in Scripture? Well, the first thing we see is God is number one. Amen? In the beginning, God. Do you notice God opens up his book without defining or telling you how he came into existence? Because he never did. You know, he never defends himself as God. He just establishes, I'm God. And you need to worship me. Period. Done. I am God. I was before everything. Because I am not created, I am eternal. So God is the first thing. The next order of creation is man. We are called the crowning creation. We are put, Adam was put over the garden to manage the garden. That includes animals and the planet or the earth or the garden, if you say it that way. So this is God's order of creation. God is number one. Man is put second to God as far as in creation to be a helpmate, to come alongside God, do what he calls us to do, to manage and care for this world. We're over animals and we're over the planet. Both those things were given to us to provide for us and glorify God through them. But in our world today, we don't follow this, naturally speaking. We've reversed the order. In our world today, we have Earth Day. Nothing wrong with Earth Day, but why do we have an Earth Day? Because the planet is very important. We'll do anything to save the planet. Then we have animals. Animals. We were all about saving these animals. And again, I'm not against that, but this is not the order that God created. Then we have mankind because we are, we're involved, but lastly, we have God. We don't really care about God. God's least important to us, naturally speaking. And you might say, I don't know, pastor. I don't know if I agree with that. Let me give you one example of how we see this in our world today. And there's many, but let me give you one. Based on what I was looking into, and I'm not sure if this is still the standard as far as today, but I found this within the last year or so, this was the case. But this flipping of God's order is exactly why you can be sentenced up to two years in prison and a maximum fine of $5,000 per violation if you destroy a bald eagle nest or egg. Okay? I'm not, I'm not for destroying nests and eggs of bald eagles, but just hear me now. If you do that and you get caught, you'll be sentenced to up to two years in prison if it's a felony case and a maximum fine of $5,000 per violation for doing that. And yet it is completely legal and you can even have it paid for to murder an unborn child. How can that be? How can we be totally okay with killing a human baby for convenience or career or comfort? But yet if you damage this animal, we'll send you to prison. Why is that? Because we flipped the order. The minute you remove God from number one, nothing will, will fall into place. Nothing will work. This is why. In your household, in your family, in your job, 
You really want to be successful? You want to be a great dad, a great mom, a great husband, a great wife, a great employer, a great employee? Put God first in your life through Christ. And I promise you, I promise you, you won't get the promotion every time. You won't get the money all the time. You may not live in the biggest house or drive the nicest car, but I promise you, you will have the joy of knowing you're pleasing your heavenly father. You'll be a testimony to those in your workplace and God will bless you tremendously by doing things you can't even imagine. But we got to put them first. See, why is the world the way it is? Because we're falling into sin and mankind, we flip the order. We care more about saving a whale off the coast of our country than we do about saving children. It's just what it is. Now, let me just say this for a moment. Isaiah speaks to this even in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. This is not a new problem. Isaiah spoke to this again in Isaiah 5 and verse 20 when he said this. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. That dark is light and light is dark. That bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What is Isaiah saying here? When we flip the order... Nothing will work. Now, in this, this is the, the, the New Living Translation where it says, what sorrow. The King James says, woe to those who do this. Sorrow on those who call evil good and good evil. And let me just tell you, that's what we see in our world today. Evil is being called good and good is being called evil. It's just what we see. You might ask the question, aren't there people doing good things in this world? I mean, it's not all bad, is it? Well, of course, people are doing good things in this world. There are good people in our understanding of that word, and they do good things. However, that good does not make them good, meaning righteous in the eyes of Christ. Apart from Christ, they are going to be judged. Any good thing, by the way, we do in this world naturally, meaning without Christ, is only because we are his creation and given a moral conscience, which has been and continues to be influenced by the spirit through the church. A natural unsaved man who does good things, it's only because of two reasons. One, he was created with a moral conscience given to him by God. And two, because God continues to use the church by the work of those spirits to influence the culture around it. This is why I study church history. Hospitals, libraries, even universities, many have attributed to the church for founding those things. It is the influence of the church and the influence of the spirit through the body of Christ that has affected the world that leads even unsaved people who don't know Christ to do good things. So why do believers groan with creation? We talked about the natural man. We see that there's pain and suffering because we flipped the order. We've gotten things out of God's order and therefore it's led to hurtful things that are said and done because we're not thinking clearly. We call evil good and good evil. But why do believers grown with creation. Well, because we see what's going on around us, of course, but also as Christians, we have been given a taste of the glory to come in Christ. We groan in this world because we see from scripture how the world could be, and yet we see the brokenness of sin. Paul says in Romans that we are waiting for the complete adoption when we leave this world and are with Christ. Another scripture you can write down is Philippians chapter three and verse 20 through 21. See, our citizenship, according to Philippians, is already in heaven. We are awaiting his return, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's what Paul says. Why is it like 
of someone giving birth because right now we're in that painful stage of, of labor. But there's coming a day when Christ will return or he will call you home and there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. You no longer hope for, you now see for yourself the glory of God on display. And your adoption, which began at the moment you received Christ as Savior, is now fulfilled and completed when you stand before him and you will be like him, the Bible says. See, we experience a taste of that glory and we know in our hearts there could be so much more. As we experience the hurt in this world, we long for his heaven. However, the Lord doesn't leave us alone in this world. He is with us in this world as well. Amen. Look at chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. We see the effects on creation, the effects on man quickly, as we are running out of time, quickly, the effects, or the effect rather, on God. Let's look at verse 26 of Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Because we ma- he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. And then we get into that beautiful passage, verses 28 through the end of the chapter, about the providential hand of God, which we unpacked last week, that God is working in and through all things for his glory and our blessing. But here in verses 26 and 27, we see the effect on God is that the spirit groans. Mankind groans, creation groans, and the spirit groans. Why? Paul says the spirit groans along with creation and mankind, as we also see Jesus did while ministering on earth. When Jesus was on earth, seeing what sin was doing to his creation, it broke his heart. An example of this is Mark chapter 7, verse 34. See, Jesus was brokenhearted when he saw creation the way it was in sin, and his heart by the Spirit breaks today. And so what did he do? He gave us his Spirit, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, if we have the Spirit, we are his through Christ. And so we're praying because we see the brokenness in the world around us. We see all the craziness and we're praying, God, why? God, what? God, when? And all these other questions we ask. And then we get to those times we don't know what to pray. And the Spirit of God begins to pray for you and begins to speak for you and groan on your behalf because the Spirit's heart is broken as well when when the Godhead sees sin in this world. Today, the Holy Spirit groans with us and feels the burdens of our pain in this world. Not only... Is he there to comfort us in times of difficulty? He is there to pray with us and for us the prayers that we don't even know how to pray. Jesus Christ is our mediator between us and the Father because he is the one that died in our place, becoming the sacrificial lamb. However, the idea of a mediator or an intercessor here speaks to the function of the Holy Spirit, which he performs in the life of Christians. The act of speaking to our deepest need, which we cannot And are not even aware. So why is the world the way it is? Simple. Sin. Sin has affected and infected everything. The reason people hurt other people is because they choose to hurt them. Because they are sinful. The reason there are even such a thing as natural disasters, in quotations, not experienced before Genesis 3 is due to sin. Now we have another question that comes to mind. Does God allow 
these things to happen in our world? And the answer is yes. Could God stop them if he chose to? Yes. So the question, and I say this to you, struggling with this myself at times, and I know in church, well, brother, but the Bible says, I know, but when you're living it, it's a lot more difficult to just say the Bible says, and I understand that. So I say this with sympathy and empathy. Why doesn't he just step in and stop all sinners from sinning? Why doesn't he just stop, step in and stop all sinners from sinning? The reality is from scripture, because as much as we don't like it, he gives mankind a choice to choose if they will repent and turn to him or continue in their sin. There is coming a day when God will judge and those that have not received Christ will experience the wrath of God that's been stored up for them. Romans chapter two, not because they were really bad people who did really bad things, but because they have not received Christ. But before that happens, God in his graciousness is giving time for repentance He is using his church to preach his gospel and whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, as we come before you today, we're so thankful for your grace and love in our lives. Lord, I know that when we look at the world around us, Lord, it can really be difficult to understand. We struggle with wondering the why. So, Father, I pray that if there's someone here today in this room that is struggling with that question, that they would realize, first and foremost, Lord, that it's sin that has led to these things, the pain, the hurt, sinful acts we've done to one another, sinful acts that have been done to us that were in the moment not really our fault. And so, Father, there's pain there, but I'm so thankful you don't leave us without a comforter, that in Christ we have your spirit that prays for us, that strengthens us, that comforts us. And I pray that as we go through this time in this world, Lord, that we would keep our eyes on you. Thank you for the time of repentance you give to every one of us that we might choose to follow Christ. Father, thank you for your church that has influenced this world for your glory. So, Father, I pray you'd use your church to make a difference in the community and the world around us that others would come to know Christ. But, Lord, I pray right now As we have this time of invitation, maybe there's somebody sitting in this room right now or watching online that is concerned to a point of fear. They see everything in our country and our world around us and they're they're just overwhelmed with it. They find themselves really honestly fearful, living in fear. I pray, Father, they'd come and bend a knee at this altar. Or if they're watching online right now, looking at their phone or looking at their computer, that they would just right there where they are, bend a knee and say, Lord, I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm going to trust you. Because the world is broken in sin, but you have not left us or abandoned us. I can't wait to be with you, but for now, you've placed me here to make a difference for your glory. Use me. Maybe somebody would come this morning and just pray that prayer. Lord, I'm tired. I don't want to be concerned with fear and consumed with all this God's hand of providence is over us and he is working all things for our good to his glory. Father, bless now this time and use it for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Would you respond? You find yourself getting fearful? Maybe you come and pray and say, Lord, thank you. I know it's painful, but you're in control. I'm gonna trust you. I'm not gonna look at what I see. I'm gonna live by faith, not by sight. Would you respond as we sing?